So, uh, and thanks for the clock and thanks for the camera and all that. So here we go. We are in our series and our series is not working by my clicker. So go ahead and click it, guys, and then thanks for working on it. Can you make it go? Okay, so we're doing our Empowered series, and this is the idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon in order that God might do his ministry through, okay? That's what we're doing in this thing that we're doing in our look at Luke and so on. In order for us to understand this idea that I have been talking about for some time, which is you can read Luke many different ways. One of the ways is, is as a story, Okay, different stories happening, different things taking place and so on, but you can read it as a series of stories and that's great. That's a perfectly fine, wonderful way to read it. But the way that we're reading it actually is, is that we're looking at how God introduced this whole idea of click. <laughs> is it working? Still not working. Thank you guys for working on that, but click for me for now. Okay, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works. And what we're doing is, is we're working through how is that supposed to happen? How are we supposed to do that? And what we see in Luke is, is that God has done this thing of showing us how that works. Okay? So, in order to get this, I just want to sort of get you a, a good illustration of what God's actually doing in Luke so that we can read it this other way and see that he's clearly doing it. We're going to see it today. Come on up, Mike. Okay? All right. What's that? Okay. All right. Here, I'm actually, yeah, go ahead and take that one, because you're, you're tall and you need that one. Okay. Now, if what I want to do is show somebody how to do something, right, I could take them into a classroom and I could talk to them until I was blue in the face about how you do golf and they would never get it. I've actually taught a whole bunch of people how to do golf, and the one thing I never did was talk to them a long time. What I did instead was, as I said, I don't have a glove for you, sorry. I'm, I probably don't have one that's big enough to fit your hand. Okay. But the point is, is what we do is, is the first thing that I do is that I model it. And he watches what it is that I'm doing. And then the second step is, is that he starts doing it. And as he's doing it, then I'm helping him to make adjustments so that he can do it more, right? Now, if I'm teaching somebody how to play golf, kind of stand right there. Okay, because if you don't, I'm going to hit you. <laughs> I don't want to hit you because you'll kill me. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right, now... Now, what I want to do, see, is the first thing you want to do is, is that you want to just get your feet to a certain place. You want to get your platform stable so that you're, right, you're set. Okay, now this is weird. And people who play a lot of golf and have taught other people how to play golf, I'm going to do it totally differently, so be with me, okay? But, but the point is, is you just, kind of, you just kind of grab a hold of the club, and then I just want you to kind of watch this, Mike. I just want you to see what I'm doing. I'm just taking one arm here, and I'm just kind of swinging, and I'm just kind of trying to get the rhythm of it. Do you see that? Yeah. I'm not forcing anything. I'm not making, I'm not using muscles. I'm just kind of just doing a rhythm. And you see how I'm kind of snapping my wrist through? Okay, so it comes back. All right. So go ahead. This is the mimic part. Now get it, get about shoulder width. Kind of bend your knees a little bit. Kind of just get to where you're comfortable. Okay. Then left hand. Okay, you are right-handed, right? You're left-handed? Oh, I'm going to mess you up royal. Okay, but just go ahead and just go ahead and start doing it. I don't have left-handed clubs, so, all right. Now, yeah, go ahead. Now back further. Now, I want, yeah, I said, see, now turn, yeah, go ahead. Turn your body more. Now pick a spot right in the ground. Pick a spot and just be looking at it while you're still swinging. Now keep your eyes right on that spot. Never take your eyes off that spot. 
and kind of move your body. Yeah, keep going. Keep going. See? All right, now keep that left arm more straight now. Okay? Just keep it more straight as it goes back. See how you have to turn your body? Yeah, now go, now do more of a back swing. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, do it again. Don't try and hit hard, just swing. Just get rhythm. Okay, go ahead. Now just get the rhythm going again. Now you see already, in just a quick period of time, here's the key now. He already has the most important part of what a swing is. Right there, it's a very simple thing. Those of you who are on staff, and I've taught almost all the staff how to play golf, and it took us, what, 15 minutes before you were hitting a ball pretty, pretty well, right? You know, it doesn't take any time at all. Mom has actually started playing golf, and so, Greg, you can thank me later, okay? <laughs> so, all right, now the next thing is, is, is that, see, now that he's got the most important thing, which, don't let me hit you now, okay? Now that he's got the most important thing, which is this basic movement, now we've got to start adding power, Okay? In the scriptures, Jesus starts off by first being born of the Holy Spirit. And 30 years later, he's then empowered. So now we're going to start adding something to it so that we start getting power into it. Okay? But, we, but the thing is, when you add the power, if you lose this rhythm, you've lost everything. So you've got to keep the first thing first always. And then you can start adding. There's about a hundred different things that you'd have to teach. You can literally play golf from now until the day that you die, and you're still working on getting the next step. Because there's always next steps. But here's what I want you to do. Okay, this hand on the left, just like you were doing. And then take this hand like this and just link it up with, with this last finger here. The last one right here. See that? And interlace those little fingers. Interlace your two little fingers. Did you, no, just, just, there you go. Now take that hand and put it down further so that, look at how it goes. This thumb kind of goes into the groove. There you go. There you go, just like that. Now it's going to feel really weird for you because you're a lefty, and I'm sorry about that. Okay? And straighten your club just a little bit. Okay. Now, now, go, now I want you to take that grip and just go like this. Stand over there again. And just kind of get to where you can see. You, you see how you can control it with your hands? Now you, okay, do this more. More laying it in the palms. You got to interlink these two. You got to look, do this. See what I'm doing? See how I'm teaching him? If only you're doing it, you need to go this finger to this finger. There you go. Now put these hands down here more. Okay. Okay, like this. Let, let go of that hand. Interlink those two fingers. Okay. okay. Oh, I see. See? See that? Yeah. See, now he did feel it. Once you feel it, you go, oh, well, that makes sense because you're making your hands one. See, now step over there again so I don't hurt you, okay? And now what you do is, is it's the same motion, but now, you see, I've got the other hand involved. And so I'm starting to do things. And by the way, you are good golfers. You may not critique my swing, okay? <laughs> but the point is, you see what I'm doing, Mike? I'm still doing the same exact thing that I was doing. I'm just starting to add more power. So go ahead. Does anybody think he could kill the ball? <laughs> now, now go easy. Here's the thing about golf. Golf isn't actually about strength. It's about rhythm. Okay? Now go ahead. Just keep that rhythm like you were doing with your left hand. Keep that left arm straight. Remember? Keep the head down. There you go. A little more rhythm. A little more rhythm. A little more rhythm. Now do you see what's happening already? Now just because I didn't want to kill anybody... I actually had them set up a screen here earlier today, and I was going to have him hit a ball and just show you that he could actually hit a ball right now, and it would go. 
I just thought, I just had this image that I might kill one of the Lees. <laughs> okay? And I thought, I won't do that. Okay? So, all right? Love you, man. Yes, you go. So, all right, we get it? You got to do this model, mimic, make adjustments. Now, here's what God did. Okay? Now, remember, the, part, the point about Luke is, what God is doing is, underneath the stories, he's actually doing very specific things so that we get things in order. If I told him how to do the grip, but I never got him doing the left hand, how would he do? He couldn't hit the ball still. He wouldn't have any sense of the most important thing, which is the club coming through. See? So I can add things to it over time. Got it? So the point is, is watch, here's what, here's what God does in Luke. I want you to see this is sort of, we're flying over all today, we're going to be at that 20,000 foot level to see topography, okay? So what we do is, is that we see in the very beginning, he's born of the Holy Spirit, he's got the Spirit inside doing what? At 12 years old, he already knows God so well that the temple people are amazed at the things that he says. This is in Luke, see? And then he gets empowered. Now... To re, to, he's gonna, now God is going to redo that and show us how it worked out in Jesus' life. Because what happens is, is that Jesus then goes to the wilderness having been empowered. He comes back down. He says, picks up the scroll. He says, you know, the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach. He's anointed me to do these miracles and these things, right? But now watch. Right then, he then says to the people in his hometown, you want me to do miracles, I'm telling you, you're not going to get any miracles. Why? Do you remember? Because you don't know God. See what he's putting first? Intimacy. Born again. Holy Spirit. Relationship. You're not in relationship. You're like those Jews of old who were out doing your own things and wanted God to do what you wanted him to do. I'm telling you, you're not after the things of God because I'm God and I'm standing right in front of you and you're just in a few minutes going to try and kill me. <laughs> you don't know me. Intimacy first. Then what he does is he, he leaves them and he goes to a place where he, he heals Peter's mom. Right? Actually, I'm sorry, he delivers a demon. Right? And you remember what they said? Even while he was talking, they said, he speaks with authority. Now, we had a town hall, and we talked about what does this mean to be speaking in authority? Where does that come from? Where does it come from? Well, what was number one? What was the first thing? Intimacy. Knowing God. How do you know what to do? Because you know God. And when you know God, you know more what to do, but even then, you still got to keep going because what Jesus says is, is it working now? Thank you. Uh, is it? Okay. Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son does nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, that's what the son does. Did you hear what he's saying? I don't do this on my own. I'm not doing this because I'm God. I'm just a man. And here's how I'm doing it. I see what the father's doing. And that's what I do. Not only that, I don't speak out of my authority. The father who sent me told me, commanded me what to say. And that's the only thing that I say. <laughs> you see it? Where does he get his authority from? He's doing what the Father wants done. Period. 
See the pattern? He's laying it out again. And so we've seen this. Now here's what happens today. Today what happens is he's going to start showing the disciples all of this and how to do this. Now, are we disciples? So then he's going to be showing us how to do this. Particularly if we'll do a little thing. And we can do this because of mirror neurons and so on. I want you to put yourself today in the position of a disciple. In fact, incredibly so, Peter. I want you to think and I want you to be Peter today. Because I want you to go through this journey that we're going to see Peter go through with Christ. Because we're going to see how God teaches Peter how to do these steps and in the right order. And can I say something? I've been preaching about healing. I've been here for 15 years, and I was preaching before that for another 10. And what I can tell you is I've been preaching probably 30 to 40 years about healing. And I've done tons of research on it. I've done tons of things on it. And I'm telling you today, because of this sermon, I'm going to change the way that I teach about it. I'm going to change the way that I think about it because of what happened when I was doing the sermon. And that's with years of seminary study and all kinds of study on this and teaching on it and seeing quite a bit of fruitfulness. But we're looking for all that God can do. And I want to tell you, there's a revelation in here today that for me, it may be totally obvious to you. But for me, it was, oh my gosh, I've had this thing wrong all these years. So that's what we're going to do. Does that sound good? Would you like to know how to heal? Would you like to know how to move in his miracles more? So with that in mind, John, John Y., you are praying for us. Uh, and I thought you guys were gone. I thought you went to Flagstaff or something. I thought you were going to be gone for Next like... Next weekend. Is that, is that yep. what it is? Yep. I'm just so excited for you guys to get to be with the kids and get some time off. And John's worked really hard his whole life, and he's in... The, I don't know if he's going to... I don't Anyway, whatever. But <laughs> John is an sermon, elder. Okay? <laughs> John's an elder in this church, and he's an incredible guy. So, John, pray for the sermon. Lift up another church. So, Lord, we just thank you that... Um, that you are fresh and new every day. Lord, your, your mercies are new every day. And um, today you have a new mercy for us. Lord, you have a new direction or you have a new piece of input. And Lord, I pray right now that, first of all, I thank you for um, just uh, speaking to Kurt so clearly and the revelation that you've given him. And now, Lord, I pray that we would uh, take it and grow with it. And Lord, I'm, I'm looking forward to it personally, to be able to uh, take another step uh, in my walk with you. So, Lord, I pray that, that, that for each one of us it would be a new, a new day. Um, and, Lord, I pray also for, um, I don't know, the, the, the church that I'm going to go visit in, in Flagstaff. Lord, I just Amen. pray right now that that would be a, um, a church of, uh, with you. And, Lord, that, uh, that this, this Sunday even, that they would uh, have a new revelation of you and that they would grow strong in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. All right. So we're in Luke. There's this pattern that we're looking for. We're stepping back. In Luke, God is not only showing us what Jesus did, he's showing us how he did it and how, therefore, we can do it. And he starts off here, now that we looked at this last time that I preached, after leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home, Peter, Simon Peter, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her. Everyone begged, standing at her bedside. He rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. Now, remember, people knew that Jesus was a healer because he'd been doing it before he even came to his own hometown, right? Okay? So they knew that it wasn't just coming out of the blue. They knew that he healed, but had they ever seen it? 
Okay? Now, as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons. The demons came out as command, shouting, you're the son of God. Because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. I've talked about that many times. I'm not going to go into it now except to say two quick things. One, Jesus doesn't receive his testimony from demons. Okay, and there's a whole other sermon that we can do about that. But the bottom line is, is he doesn't do that. But even more importantly, and we're going to see it again, here's what Jesus is trying to do by telling him not to say anything about who he is. He's trying not to, to draw a crowd. He's trying not to draw a crowd. Now, if we really want to go deep on it, I would add a third thing, and that is what he's actually doing, and the deepest part is, is that he's wanting people to make up their own mind about who he is. If you did not hear Eric Lee's sermon from last week, you owe yourself listening to it. It was absolutely phenomenal, and I, it might be one of the most talked about sermons that we've had in years. Uh, just people over and over coming up to me saying it was fantastic and having application on it. But this is roughly, he was in the ballpark talking about John the Baptist, you know, knew, knew Jesus, knew who he was, knew everything, and came to still a point in his life where he said, are you the one? Right? So... All right? So what he's doing is, is he's bringing everybody to a place of saying, you have to make your own decision. I'm not going to prove it to you in a way that it's no longer faith, that it's no longer something along that line, okay? Having said that, like I say, he's trying not to get a circus going, and there's a couple of different reasons for that. One is because, can I say, uh, try it this way. Watch this. When we think of healing, could you guys both stand up for a second? Anybody ever seen the, the great healing evangelists of our day? And I, when I say, I'm being facetious, just right there. And, and they'll, they'll do it like this. And you know how, what they'll do is, yeah, no, you don't have to fall. I'll push you down, don't worry. Okay. So, but you know what they do is, is that they do some things. And what they do, right, when they, here, when they call the person up, okay, now what's wrong with you? My, uh, See, my shoulder hurts. The shoulder hurts. See, and then can you lift your arm? See, and everything Ow. they do. Yeah, see, well, then don't do that anymore. <laughs> Doctor, it hurts when I go like this. Well, then don't do that. All right, so, so the point is, is, but they make it all about what's wrong, don't they? And then they say, now, boom, be healed, boom, boom, and he goes down, okay? All right? And now that everybody believes, then he just starts, then they start whack, 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 whack. And they just go down the line and they're healing everybody. Is that what, thank you very much. <laughs> is that what Jesus was doing? Because see, when we see him healing everybody, don't, isn't there something about how was he doing this? Well, let me show you, and I'm going to show you a little bit later in a, in a, in a moment when he's doing big healings. I'm going to show you something about how Jesus does something. You, we can't prove that this is how he did it because it doesn't say it. But we do see evidences of it everywhere, which is what Jesus was doing as opposed to just sort of namelessly and impersonally, whack, 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 whack. What he's doing is, is he's engaging with the person on a real level. And here's the key, for a point that's bigger than the healing. Every time. Every time we hear it described in detail, and we do have one today that's in a context of a larger, he's healing everybody. And even in the context of the crowd, he's not focusing on healing. He's focusing on them and God. See? Now keep that thought in your mind, because I'm going to prove that out, okay? So, now, in order to stay sane, in order to stay balanced, in order to keep the right rhythm 
to the swing and not be adding a whole bunch of stuff that's starting to pull that swing off. In order to keep the right swing going, what does Jesus do? He came out in our town hall. Early the next morning, he went out to an isolated place. Every time, in the beginning here, and so we can assume it was true throughout his ministry, but this is what God is pointing out to us, remember? See, he's putting these things in here intentionally because he wants us to learn from them. What comes first? What comes first? Intimacy. What's Jesus keeping first? Intimacy. Even in the middle of a whole lot of activity. People coming and clamoring. See, in fact, to the point that the crowd search everywhere for him, they finally find him. They beg him not to leave him. He replies, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in the town. That's why I was sent. Well, whose agenda is he following? I was sent by the Father to do his will. You want me to do this? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you see me as Joseph's son? I'm something else, too. And I'm going to be about that. So, so he continued to travel around preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. All right? Now, we're at chapter 5 right now. And chapter 5 is where this discipleship of the disciples really begins. He's already been setting it up. And we who have the benefit of reading the book already know some certain things. But watch how he's going to do all of this yet again. Repeating a pattern in order to get it down deep in us because we need to keep repeating the pattern. See? So what he does is he says, one day as Jesus, Jesus was preaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed into him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. The fishermen had left them and washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked who? Peter. Simon. Push out. Now, apparently Simon's in the boat. He doesn't just push him out in the middle of the lake, okay? So he pushes out in the water, and then he sits in the boat, and he teaches the crowd. Now, think about it. If there's a whole bunch of people coming in and crowding in, you know, they're being pushed from the people outside because they want to see him. They want to see what he's, hear what he's saying better. They want to get close to him and so on. So it gets crowded, and we have other times when he says, put me in a boat and get me out because now there's a whole bunch of people that can see and a whole bunch of people that can hear, right? So that's why he's in the boat, right? Yeah, except that that's not the only reason he's in the boat. Because what will happen, the very next thing is, he finished speaking, he says to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. And I want to say something. Uh, Rick, you and I were talking the other day, and you were saying, you know, I'm more like Peter. And when you said that, you said the same thing I mean when I say it, the same thing all of us mean when we say it. Here's what we mean when we say, I'm more like Peter. I wish I was like John and I kind of got it right all the time, but I'm like Peter and I get it wrong all the time. You know, I get it wrong quite a bit. I mean, not all the time, but quite a bit I get it wrong, right? That's what we mean by it. You know what? I'm going to prove to you right now, praise God that everybody should get it wrong like Peter. Because here's the key to Peter. He's in the game. What's Peter thinking when Jesus says that to him? We don't have to know what he's thinking. We don't have to guess what he's thinking. He says it. That's the great thing about Peter, right? If it's there, he says it, right? Master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. <laughs> right? You know, you know, I realize you're not a fisherman, <laughs> but we've been working all night. We're tired. We want to wash up. We're never going to catch fish in the middle of the day. The sun's out there hiding. 
This is not where the, this is not the time that you catch fish. Don't, you know. So I'm not pushing the boat out. I'm not going out into deeper water. Jesus, you're just nuts. See, the, the great thing about Peter is he says what's on his mind, but he's in. Or let me put it another way. He's out. Who, who's the one that gets out of the boat when it's the wind and the waves? Who's the guy who's doing? See? Peter is the guy who sang. Well, okay. <laughs> I don't get it. Everybody else thinks that he's Joseph's son. So we're going to handle him a certain way. Peter says, this doesn't jive with me. I'm a fisherman and you don't know what you're talking about. And this isn't going to work. But you know what? You say Saul, do it. So he does it. If you say Saul, let the nets down again. And of course, what happens? This time the nets are so full of fish, they begin to tear. A shout for help brought all their partners in the other, in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Now, what happens next? If this happened to you, remember, we're, we're Peter. We're in his shoes. If you go out, you've been fishing all night long, you didn't get any fish, now you're going to go, right? You go out, you get so much fish, what do you do? I want you to not think about what the story says, I want you to think about what you would do. Just tell me right now, okay? Just call it out. I, I can tell you what I would do. Let's have a party. I am Julie's husband after all, okay? Let's have a party, you know what I mean? We got a bunch of fish, let's celebrate. This is a great thing, let's celebrate. I would thank him too, what would you do? Go back out and get more. There's a really good one. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good one. Being freaked out, she said. How, to, how, to, how much you can sell them for and how to preserve the entrepreneurs in the group. You did? Oh, they're beautiful, aren't they? Yeah. So, but here's the point. What would we, he said, I got a rainbow trout. Okay, he was just, yeah. So here's the point. Here's what Peter does. And I want you to understand how none of us, I don't think in here, would have done this. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner for you to be around. Or to be around you. You see it? Is that a little unusual as a response? Let me propose to you that that response is this flow. See what he's doing? Who am I and who are you? I want to show you what it wasn't about. Tell me about what healing you need so that all the people can hear about it. Tell me about how many doctors have looked at it, making it all about the miracle. See what I mean? Peter could have asked him, how did you do that? How did you know that? Peter could have made it about the miracle, but here's the beauty of Peter and the beauty of any Christian who's trying to get deeper with God. If you make it about the surface thing, you will miss the point that it's pointing to. And what's it supposed to be pointing to? You just healed my mom and you just got us a bunch of fish and I saw you deliver a guy from a demon. And I don't have any idea who you are. And the one thing that I know is, I gotta watch out here. 
The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Thank God it's not its end. The end of wisdom is intimacy with God. But we have to start with a certain flow. And we have to be true to that flow. We have to get a certain grip, a certain truth first. And that certain grip and that certain truth is you're something more than what I've ever seen before, and I am not. <laughs> See? See what God is revealing to us now? We can look at that as just the story of how Peter responded, or we can look at it and say, look what God is showing us about what he's trying to reveal to us. Go deeper. Get underneath this. What does this really mean? Now, we're going to see that played out in a particularly dramatic way here in just a moment, but let's go on from now. He was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, who were the three? Peter, James, and John, right? And look at this. They're with him right at the very beginning. You remember this story? Well, I'll get to it in a sec. His partners, James and John, son of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Do you remember how it's told in another gospel? Because it's told for different reasons in different ways and so on. It's not never shading the truth or, or changing the truth. Do you remember it says that Jesus was walking along the shore and he said, come with, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Do you realize that this is the deeper telling of that story? There was something around this. And the something around this was he healed his mom. He delivered a demon. And then he made fish show up. And at that point in time, then he says, now follow me because I'm going to have you start healing people. It's not what he said, was it? I'm going to start teaching you how to bring people to me. See? What's the point? What's the thing that we're always being brought back to in Luke? See? At every moment, we're being brought back to one point. Do you see it? And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. I love Peter. <laughs> I want to be more like Peter. I don't want to make the mistakes. I agree. But you know what? If, if the choices are me, Peter, and John, <laughs> I think I'm going to pick John. The problem is I think I've already disqualified from John. So now it's between me and Peter. So I think I'm going to stick with Peter. Because I want to be able to drop everything and follow him, right? Now, this, now we're getting to Jesus meets a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging him, Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Here's what Jesus did. He reached out and said, be healed. Because after all, what matters is the healing, Right? No, he calls attention again to something else. Jesus reached out and said, I'm willing. <laughs> Be healed, and instantly the, leper, the leprosy disappeared. I want you to do something right now. I, I think that these might be some of the most important words in the whole Bible. Because if the first thing that we have to know is the basic flow of the character, the nature, the heart of God... Isn't the first thing that we have to know is that he's willing? That he loves us? That he wants to do this? 
Don't we have to know that before we can ever get into any exceptions to that? Where he might not be healing for some other reason? Don't we have to know first and foremost, I am willing? My heart, my nature, my character. See, here's what he's doing. He's teaching the disciples who he is, right? So he takes the time to say something more. It would have been implied either way. But he takes the time to bring it out and highlight it. I'm willing. I want you to do a little exercise right now. Close your eyes. Now think about the biggest thing that's going on in your life, the biggest problem that's happening in your life, that you need a miracle, that you need God to touch. Do you have it? The biggest thing. Now I want you to hear the Lord say to you right now, I am willing. It is my heart. It is my nature. It is my character. It is my desire. I am willing. Doesn't just hearing that heal? Doesn't it just help? <laughs> Go ahead and open your eyes. See, here's how we think. You know, he may be willing and he's able to heal other people, but I'm such a sinner. How could he possibly help me? Because, I mean, I've disqualified myself. I've knocked myself out of the thing. Or, you know what? I just don't feel, I feel like God loves a lot of people, but I just don't feel like he loves me. See it? Right here, he's revealing his character, his heart, his nature. I am willing. That's the God that we've got to remember in everything we do and in everything that we explain. Because if we forget that, we're going to lose the rhythm and we're not going to be right. We're not going to hit the ball. We're not going to get this thing right. You see it? I am willing. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anybody what had happened. Go to the priest, let him examine you. Take along the offering according to the law of Moses. And, you know, why did he tell him not to instruct him? Same reason, right, that we saw. Okay, I'm trying not to draw a crowd. And what we're going to see is it draws a crowd. Okay, go to the priest, let him examine you. Take along a different, um, the offering required in the law of Moses. Now remember, back in the Old Testament, for those of you who don't know this, they, they had all kinds of diseases and so on. And what, would hap what happened was is that God said, I want to show you how to know if someone's healed from certain diseases. There's skin ways of looking at the skin and so on. And there's a little bit of a medical text sitting right in there about how to know if a person really did get healed. Now think about that for a second. How to know that a person really did get healed. Look what Jesus is doing, not just for the benefit of the person being healed so they can be clean, so that he can walk amongst people, but he, remember he's teaching his disciples something. What's he teaching them right now? This is real. This, this, this comports with the scripture. This is not psychosomatic. This is not temporary and it'll come back. This is healing. The way that I said to see if a person gets healed. And so he says this will be a public testimony. Now, that's an unfortunate wording in the NLT, given that what we're emphasizing here. It's not a public testimony as in blabbing it out to everybody, even though that's essentially what he does. It is a biblically prescribed testimony to the priests so that they can see that you have been cleansed. See, it's a testimony outside of yourself that that skin thing that was going on is no longer going on, and you're now not unclean, you're cleansed. See it? Despite Jesus' instruction, the report of his power spread even faster. <laughs> Vast crowds come to hear him preach and be healed of their diseases. Right? 
So Jesus, getting caught up in the moment, goes out and starts having a whole bunch of rallies because after all, there's so many people that need healed and after all, that's what counts is people getting healed and you've got to rack them up and then you can raise more money and then you can, see what I mean? What does he do? What does he do again? You see how it's repeating it over and over and over? See, everything that he's doing, he keeps drawing us back to one place, one thing, intimacy with God. Intimacy with God, every time, intimacy with God. Intimacy with God, this is what this is about. And now we're gonna see this in my favorite healing in all the Bible. One day while Jesus is teaching, some Pharisees and teachers with his law are sitting nearby. Seeing these men showed up from every village in Galilee as well from Jerusalem, the Lord's healing power was strong with Jesus. Now why were people there? They were listening to him teach, we got it. The Pharisees and everybody was there. But do you understand something? Why were people gathering to him? It just said it the time before. They were gathering to him because they were unwell. So they were coming to be healed. And then they were listening to the teaching, and then they were hoping to be healed. And there's some guys that want to be healed. By the way, the Lord's healing power is strong with Jesus. Why would he say that? Why would he put that in the Bible? Why did God have Luke write that? So that we would know that Jesus was not healing because he was God. He was healing because it was the Holy Spirit upon him. It was God that was healing. See? I hope you're going to hear more about that next week. I'm not sure yet. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus. They couldn't reach him because of the crowd. They went up to the roof and took off some tiles. They lowered the sick man on his mat down to the crowd right in front of Jesus. And then it says, seeing their faith. Now, I'm a teacher, okay? I'm probably more of a teacher than a preacher or anything else, but I'm a, right? And so the point is, is I'm going to do a class on teaching you how to heal. What's the first topic? What's the most important topic that I bring up? Faith. That's the one I start with. Because you've got to have faith. Now, that implies that you know God. That implies something of this. And that. But you see, my focus is on healing. See, if I'm in the faith movement, here's what I'm being taught. You need to have faith, and that's how people get healed. So it's faith in faith, even. See what I mean? But it's about the healing. That's what it's about. You see? And I'm trying to teach people, hey, God heals. This is who he is and understand who he is. You gotta have faith. And I'm starting with faith as a teacher. But here's where God's starting. Intimacy. An authority that flows out of intimacy. Do you realize that by the time, you realize this is the first time in Luke that he brings up the word faith. From here on out, we're going to hear about faith every time somebody gets healed in a, in, a, in a healing except the times that he's doing it with, he's trying to prove something to the Pharisees, which he's essentially doing here too, right? But we're going to hear about faith over and over and over and over from here on out. But you do realize that we're in chapter 5. We've already seen three mass healings. We've seen a demon delivered. We've seen fish show up. We've seen Peter's mom healed. We've seen a guy from leprosy healed. Do you realize that he hasn't said anything about faith? When Jesus is demonstrating how he's doing it, he doesn't talk about faith. He talks about authority. That's what the Bible talks about. Authority that comes from intimacy, we've seen. But do you see this? He's starting somewhere other than faith. I'm not saying faith isn't important. He's going to spend the rest of the book working on getting us to the proper place in faith. But what's first? Intimacy. 
There's something that comes before. There's something that's more foundational than your faith. His name is God. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Oh, be healed, right? Because after all, it's about the healing, right? <laughs> Isn't that right? That's what it's about. I mean, the guy, that's what their friends wanted. They weren't thinking of anything else. <laughs> they were thinking this guy heals and our friends in this cot, we'd sure like him to not be in the cot anymore. <laughs> right? So what Jesus says is, young man, your sins are forgiven you. If there was a, if we were playing an audio track right now, this is the time where the needle skips and we hear, oh, can you guys do it again? Here, I'll go back. Are you ready? Tell me that you're ready. <laughs> okay, sorry. This is the way the needle skips and just scoots across the record, right? Because this was not what we were expecting to hear, is it? This takes us off track, doesn't it? They didn't come to get their sins forgiven. <laughs> they came to get healed. Watch this. We're going to see in two seconds that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are going to get a conniption fit over this thing. Right? Who are you to forgive sins? Blah, 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 blah. Right? But can we just take it and make it on those two other levels that are very important? Remember, see, we're reading this as if we're Peter. And Peter was expecting him to maybe heal the man or to see what would happen. He was watching to see. And then what Jesus does is he says, your sins are forgiven you. Do you remember just a little bit ago when Peter said, get away from me? I'm too much of a sinner to be by you. Can you hear all of a sudden that in Peter's heart, this isn't about healing anymore? If you're that young man and you're coming to be healed and God comes and says to you, your sins are forgiven you, what does it do to you? Doesn't it just completely reorient you all of a sudden? Doesn't it knock you off what you thought was important? See, you're up here worried about the fact I can't walk. I mean, you know, let's this, just this, this get real about it. In the face of eternity, 50, 60 years of not being able to walk is not much compared to millions of years in God. Now, you see, we don't think that those things are important. See, what we'd rather have people do is walk because we don't want them to be not walking because that makes us feel bad because we have mirror neurons and we empathize with them and this stuff happens, that splanknitzomai that we talk about all the time, right? It makes us feel bad and we feel badly for them and we don't want them to have to have all these problems. And so what we want to do is say, be healed. And what Jesus is trying to do is saying, you're putting the cart before the horse. You're not understanding. You don't have this thing in the right order. The Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law say to themselves, who does he think he is? Blast me, only God forgive him of sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking. I love that. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? 
So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he turned to the paralyzed man and says, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now, let's just rewrite this a little bit, okay? The guy's friends bring him in. They cut the hole in the roof. They lower him down. Jesus doesn't say anything about sins. He says, be healed. The guy is terribly excited to get his legs back. He stands up, picks up his mat, and walks out of there right? Now picture what that feels like, right? I mean, that feels good, right? But think about what's happening now instead. This guy's walking out of there going, it's really good to have my legs. But Jesus just made a big deal about something else. You see, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm thinking he's really excited about walking. Don't let me understate that, okay? But I think that there's something else that's competing for his attention. There's something else that's running through his mind. I'm being reconciled. There's something that happened here that's bigger than me even walking. See it? You guys have heard me preach for 15 years here, and those of you who are watching online, people from other places that I've preached and taught, I've been teaching for 20 years that the key to healing was plonknitsomai. That's what I've been teaching here. And what that is, is that's word, over and over in the scripture, it'll say, and we'll see it, it'll say, he sees somebody that's, that's, that's in some harm, and he's filled with compassion. And the Greek word there is plonknitsomai. And I always mispronounce it, but whatever. But, he's, but he's, what he's doing is, is it means gut turning. It means he's, he's feeling what that person is feeling. And from that place of empathy, he then heals. And here's what I've been telling people. I've been saying, make sure that when you're praying for people that are sick, that you keep it about mercy. That you keep it about empathy. That you keep it about splonknitsomai. Because here's what people do. See, they say, oh, this person's going to get healed, and then the doctor's going to get healed, and then the nurse is going to get healed, and then the, my family members are going to get healed. They're all going to get saved. You see what I mean? Not healed. I mean, the doctor's going to get saved. The nurse is going to get saved. My family, you see, and we make it about a whole bunch of things. And I've been telling people for 20 years, I've been saying, don't make it about everybody else getting saved. Because it gets your mind off of mercy. It gets you into a formula. Now, I still want to say, I think there's some truth in that. And yet, let me repent now publicly for having said that it wasn't first and foremost about salvation, because it is. Healing is first and foremost about God bringing people to an intimacy. Does it matter to him that you're not healed? Yes. But there's a guy that I just read an article about this week, the way that God does these incredible things to bring sermons of revelation to me and then I get to talk about him. And this guy was a guy that was in the faith movement, and he, you know, he believed that if you had something wrong with you, that it was your faith that was in a problem, and you needed to just have more faith, and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And then he had a kid that was born severely deformed with a severe birth defect. And it threw the guy for a loop, as it would, Right? And he prayed and prayed and prayed for years and years and had all the people in his community come and pray that he'd get healed. And they had words and 
all kind, and, but not, no, and finally, after it had gone on for long enough, as Eric said, when you get to that place to where you've just been stripped away, he went to God and he just said, I don't understand. I just don't understand. And God said to him, can you love your child the way that he is? And the guy said, of course, I love my child. Of course, you, can, you know, right? You think, it'd, you think it'd be tough to have a deformed child, but talk to a parent that's had a deformed child. They love them. And most of the time, they seem to love them more. Of course I love my child. And God said, no, I'm saying, can you love your child just the way he is? And all of a sudden, the guy recognized that that wasn't what he was doing. And he had to think about it. And he went, yeah, I can. And right when he was saying, yes, I can love my child just as he is, God said to him, good, because that's how I love you. <laughs> just as you are. Does that mean he's not trying to improve? Does that mean he's not going to heal the kid? Does that mean he's not trying to go? No, it doesn't mean any of those things. It just means what's important. The guy spoke to his heart. I don't know, how many of you know who Joni Erickson Tata is? Is that name? Yeah, and if you're under 30, do you know who Joni Erickson Tata is? <laughs> so. She was a skier and she got hurt and paralyzed and, and then she went out and told people and, and I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people have come to the Lord because of Joni. It might even be in the millions at this point. You know what I mean? Just a, just a phenomenal ministry. And this guy said, I started thinking about Joni and I started thinking, if she'd have gotten healed, what would have happened? It would have been quite a testimony. There would have been some people that come to the Lord because of it. But, you know, two, three years after they got healed, you know, she'd be walking around and she'd just be one more person in the world. And all of a sudden he started thinking, what if God wanted to use Joni Erickson Tata to, to reach millions? Is a paralyzing really too high a price to reach millions? Joni would tell you no. Because she would say, that's what I'm doing. And that's what God's doing. Now, I'm in some really tricky water here. Remember what we said earlier. God's heart is, he, I am willing. Here's what we do, see? What we can do is this. We can, we can cop out on this whole discussion by saying this. Well, I'm going to pray for you to get healed, but you know, God may have a different plan, and I don't know what it is, so we're just going to pray, and if he heals you, then that evidently was his plan, and if he doesn't heal you, well, that evidently was your plan. And the problem is, is that that's cop out. That's not being Peter. That's being the guy that stays in the boat. That's being the person that is standing back and passively just observing what is happening. Here's the way two people prayed for people to get healed, one of whom is the founder of the Foursquare Movement. This was during our town hall, and people wrote in things. I noticed while reading This Is That by Amy McPherson that she often prayed until she heard the Lord, and then she would say, in the name of Jesus, insert body part here, be healed. Now listen to this often not praying or healing what was requested. They would say, I need this. She would say, fine. And then she would ask the Lord what they actually needed. <laughs> and then that's what she would pray. Now that's somebody who's gotten out of the boat and is walking on water. That's somebody who's doing it. 
In fact, listen to this one. Amy had thousands come to hear her meetings prior to Angela's temple. The numbers listed as being healed are much lower than thousands. She didn't do blanket crowd healings. She seemed to hear God's voice individually for each person. She wasn't impersonally going, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed, which is bringing glory to the person and everybody cheers and gives lots of money. She was taking the time just as Jesus just did with the guy that was in the cot and impacting his life by saying, you're here for healing. I'm telling you I'm forgiving you your sins. Making an impact in each individual according to what they needed in order to be brought closer to God. Can God use anything he wants to bring somebody to him? Eric's whole sermon was about God using anything he wants in order to be brought closer to him. One, was, one would be at the altar and she would pronounce the healing and ask them to walk or talk or see or hear. Unsaid was another right next to him, healed, remained unhealed. Catherine Coleman, these are two women, interestingly, who have, if you went back over the last, I don't know, what would you say, 60, 80 years, and you looked at all the healing ministries, there, there'd be maybe a handful that you went, you know, the way that they did this and the, the, the amount of healings that were testified to by doctors and so on, these people really seemed to be getting it right and other people were sort of pushing people down the, the more early form of that, getting crowd mentality going, crowd dynamic to where people would get healed and then they would go and look and a few months later they were dead. So apparently they weren't healed. Catherine Coleman tarried sometimes for an hour or so before she started praying for people to be healed. She would do a message and then she would start praying from the stage and people would be praying. And they would wait and she would wait until God told her, now start praying for healing. And then she would say, here's some of the things that I'm hearing. And then people would come and she would talk to them and she would interact with them and they would do this personal thing, this touch thing. She paced and walked, presumably waiting on the Lord. And I know a little bit more about Catherine Coleman because one of my professors actually traveled with her. I think, I've, I think I've brought it home and we can quit now. Here's what I want to say. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing and he only says what he hears him saying. I will seek God for what he wants me to pray, do, or say for healing or anything else. This week, Right? If somebody asks you to pray for them, or if you feel moved, something happens in you, don't just have the first thing be what you think it ought to be. Go back to the Lord and ask him, what do you want me to do? Why? Because we don't know what his plans are. We don't know what his purposes are for that person. We don't know what his process is for that person. And what we are being used as is instruments of his will, not ours. Not what we think, not how we think it. The thing that I'm going to change in how I preach this, and I've always preached this, if, if you've heard me, I've always preached, you've got to know what the Lord's saying and do that. But I've got to tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rejigger what the order was. It was mercy first. And I think that mercy is huge, and if, you don't, if it's not mercy, but I can tell you what I'm going to do is I'm going to start seeing myself as an instrument in his hands to do his will, and whether I understand what his plan is or not, the one thing I'm going to be, the only thing I'm going to be, is obedient. 
I'm not going to put my faith in faith anymore. And I'm not going to trust it just because I have a lot of mercy for them. They're going to get healed. What I'm going to trust is, is that when I get a revelation from the Lord on what to do, for whatever else he wants to do with it, that's what I'm going to do. Because I want to be in, and I want to be in his game, not mine. And so, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to do or say it. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name right now, we come before your throne, and what we ask for is, is that you would do precisely that with every person in this room, that you would cause us to become instruments of your will. We do not need to know your larger plans and purposes. We simply need to know what it is that you want us to do, and we will, like Catherine Coleman, tarry for as long as that takes. We will not say, well, it's been five minutes and I can't do anything more now and so I may as well go do what I think is right. We will wait until we hear from you and we will train ourselves to be those who are nothing but slaves, soldiers, following orders, doing what we see you do and what we are commanded to say. That is what we will become. We will stay in as long as it takes. We recognize it may take a little while at first, days even, but we will be faithful in pressing in to where we start hearing more nearly and more dearly, more clearly what it is that you want to do and how you want to do it and that you would be the one that is leading us in what to do. And every person in here can feel, God, that this is going to be more fruitful this is going to be more profitable for your kingdom. Not for just healings. Because it isn't about that. It's about us being used by you to bring people back 